Thank you for having us. Uh, we're grateful for the opportunity to present our ministry, also to open God's word uh, with you today. You know, speaking of net languages, I know Hebrew. I know a, a Hebrew friend down the street. Uh, I think I forgot the rest of my Hebrew, but uh, I won't say that to uh, my Hebrew professor. Um, a little bit about my family before uh, we talk about the ministry. Uh, Amy's parents are still in Spain. They've been there 39 years. They'll retire there. And so, as you would uh, understand, we speak Spanish, right? My wife and I both uh, do. And uh, I was a rebellious pastor's kid. And uh, by God's grace, I was, as I was doing a student exchange program in my uh, undergraduate program in college in a secular university, I went to Spain thinking I'm just going to party it up, have a lot of fun, and God saved me. I met my wife, and I also learned Spanish, so it was a really good year. After that, uh, I went to seminary, and then we went to the Dominican Republic. Uh, it's our first meeting that it's just my wife and I, and not our kids. This is like a date meeting kind of thing. <laughs> is, that a, is that a thing <laughs> on your parents? Uh, you take every opportunity you have uh, uh, to make it a date. Uh, anyhow, so talking about uh, our children, Olivia's almost seven, Elliot's four, Sophia's two, and uh, our prior ministry in the Dominican Republic had a reverse emphasis. Uh, the statement you see on the screen, church planting and training nationals to strengthen and multiply churches, it was actually training nationals and assisting in church planting. And the reason for that change is not because our philosophy has changed, it's just because there was a different ministry need presented to us uh, between the Dominican Republic and Spain. And so I'll talk about that, and uh, now I'll start uh, by talking about the Dominican uh, and then Spain. So I had the privilege of leading the revitalization of International Baptist Seminary in the Dominican Republic. This is a picture of the last graduation in which we took part in, August 29, uh, 2021. And uh, we have the name of the school in English for you guys, but it is, as you can read on the logo, Seminario Bautista Internacional. Uh, everything is in Spanish. And there is, which you might not see, uh, but there's a tall guy on the back right uh, and there, James Peavy, a VBTS grad. And so he and I basically built the school together. Uh, he was the dean, I was the president, he's now the president. <clears throat> Why did we go? Well, it's obvious if you've been a Christian for a time, right? We go because we've been commanded to go. We have a great commission to obey. And so we go and make disciples of all nations. Make disciples, right, by telling uh, lost people about the Lord Jesus Christ, and so they go from doing their own thing to being a disciple of Christ. Uh, we worked not in this first part particularly, though as Christians we evangelize, right? We seek to win the lost to Christ. Uh, we worked more so in the second part of the Great Commission. Teach them to observe everything I've commanded to you. And so we were teaching already Christians, right? Uh, the mission of the Lord Jesus Christ, how to be faithful servants, how to be faithful pastors. And uh, we did so because of a need and request presented to us by the Dominicans. There was a 30-church association, roughly, that had an institute that was a, a very basic level of education, and they needed help to up that level of education, and we volunteered for that mission. And so that was the need presented to us. So we were effectively working in the 2 Timothy 2.2 part of the Great Commission, passing the gospel baton to the next generation, right, and trust these things to faithful men so they can teach others also. And so uh, when we went to the Dominican, 
This is a picture of the church where we uh, attended for five years. It's also where the institute was in southeastern Dominican Republic in the city of La Romana. And uh, there's about 20 students, two institute trained professors, and the requirements were kind of like, okay, memorize a few verses and read a book. And uh, so that's what we were going to, that's what we went to help with. And uh, by the time we were done, though they continue, we praise God for that, uh, after our five years there from 2016 to 2021, uh, we went to uh, having six campuses, and the campuses are just a classroom in a church. Uh, about 70 students, 18 qualified professors, master's degrees and up, also speaking of character. And an important thing there is that 15 of them are, are Dominicans. And so that's very important in missions that the locals would own uh, the ministry. And we were really privileged to, to serve in that ministry. They accepted us foreigners coming in, you know, and uh, welcomed us, worked together in unity. There are problems uh, as uh, there's everywhere in a synchronous world, but overall, it's really a beautiful uh, ministry in unity uh, for the sake of the gospel. And uh, so we had, uh, we also still have, right, we had, speak in the past as we're not there anymore, uh, two undergraduate programs, one for pastors and one for everybody else who desires to study, and a board of directors that's largely Dominican. We're thankful that as we've transitioned, the seminary's in good hands. James is the president, as I've said, he knows the institution really well, the people, and they know him, so it's made for a good transition as he's also a capable guy. And uh, there's been good ownership indicators. By that, I mean that three uh, local churches have agreed to s- support the seminary financially, and that's a really countercultural thing, and so we're grateful to have seen that and to see the work continue in that way. As we now talk about Spain, I want to explain why we went from the Dominican to Spain. And uh, we left really for medical reasons. Things were going well. We had no plans of leaving. Uh, I think God moved us so that the locals would further take ownership of their school. They're already really invested in it. Uh, But basically, uh, my wife, Amy, contracted an autoimmune condition. And there's only one specialist in country, the specialist malpractice, and we're like, okay, we're just gonna go to the States, you know, a couple times a year and sort this out, uh, and then go back to the Dominican. But then we also found out she had a mold allergy, and in a tropical climate where the roofing is not fully uh, what, impermeable, is that, I think we say that in English, anyways, waterproof, there, there you go. Uh, you. You have mold pretty much in every home. Every home we visited in our city, the two homes we rented had visible mold in them. So at that point in time, we understood we had to leave uh, the Dominican Republic. And so we looked for a field that could have good medical care and also better housing. And where we're going in Spain, they have good medical care and it's a semi-arid climate with better constructions. And so there's good likelihood of finding uh, a good home for uh, our health condition. And so, we go to Spain, right, because of a great gospel need, a desire to serve the Lord in the Great Commission, but we had to check off the medical box uh, before. And on the, sc- excuse me, on the screen, you see on the bottom right, there's Valencia, and then there's Alicante. So we're near that region, southeastern uh, Spain. So a few statistics about uh, religion in Spain. Basically what happened in Spain is in 1975, a dictator named Franco died. Uh, With his dictatorship of 40 years, Roman Catholicism was imposed as the state religion. 
in 78, three years after he passed, uh, people were just wanting to do their own thing, were tired of this oppression. And so uh, they rewrote the constitution of the country, allowing for religious freedom, and there's been a steep and steady decline in Roman Catholicism since then. Now, you might be looking at the statistic there, and like, well, it's still 63%, that's kind of high, isn't it? Uh, and it is, but maybe 50, 55% of that 63% is actual practicing Catholics. So there's only you know, 10% or so of the population that would be practicing or, or less. So there's an increasing uh, non-religious or atheist agnostic population and also right, non-practicing Catholic population. 2% Muslim, 3% all the other religions put together. And uh, I don't have time to go into the evangelical statistic, but there's really only 1% or so of true Christians in Spain. And so there is a great gospel need. And why do we go? Well, it's the same answer, right? The Great Commission. Uh, we go in church planting uh, and also theological education, uh, but church planting emphasis because of the need and request of the nationals. I talk with five Spanish pastors and also with five seasoned missionaries, and they pretty much all told me the same thing. You know, they assumed, first of all, that I would work in a pastoral capacity, church planting capacity, and one of them said, you know, there's a dire need in the church. Spain needs more healthy churches. And the interesting thing there is that my desire to be a pastor had been satisfied through training other pastors. I've had a desire uh, to be a pastor, to work in church planting. I even told one of our professors just about a year before we left, I was like, you know what? I see myself in the long run more in a pastoral capacity. And I was thinking more like, if God moves us out of here in 10, 15 years, and it happened in a year. And so we're excited uh, by God's providence in our lives. Uh, though we didn't plan it, uh, we're excited to go serve in Spain and hope and think we can be effective missionaries with uh, him having put us there in the past and our desire to serve him there. We can think of our time in Spain divided in two, uh, first year and then the long run. So the first year we will be devoting much time to, f to learn the culture there is such a thing for those who have lived there uh, many years, like Amy, uh, that's called a reverse culture shock. So it's a, a year of readaptation. Though I lived there for a year, it'll take me a good five, year, five years to break into the generics of culture. And uh, that's really important. You can be somewhere 20 years and still be considered as beside the culture by the locals. So it's very important to think about culture so as to uh, Minister, minister the gospel effectively. And so we want to devote time to that. We will be serving. We know the language, right? And uh, we'll be doing survey trips. We've been invited to various uh, small, some newer, some older church planting ministries. And our goal is to uh, work in church planting to then turn things over to the locals. It can be that we do that in the church and actually pass it on or from that church, plant another church. And so we want to work in that capacity uh, in Spain. And so after the first year, we'll commit to uh, a ministry, a church. Uh, we are going to where we think is the likeliest place we would stay for the long run. But there's an agreement between us and the seasoned missionary. We're just going to go there, learn from them, minister with them, and, and see what would be the best long-term fit out of those options. And so then also uh, commit to a theological education ministry. A little more details about the first year. We're going to help a couple. Their name is David Bell and Maribel Bell. 
He's American, she's a Spaniard. Uh, he works a day job at a university to provide for his family. And uh, he started a church. He's the only pastor. It's a small church. And so he needs help. Uh, he's been doing that by himself for many years. Uh, but we will share the teaching load, evangel- evangelism load as well. And uh, we're excited to go serve in this city where there's very little gospel light. Uh, Petrer has an adjoining city called Elda, right by the small thumbtack. That's where we're going. The big thumbtack is where I went to university. Amy grew up about 35 minutes southwest of there. So we look forward to going where we have relationships and hope that that can augment our, our, our gospel opportunities and, and ministry. Yeah, so uh, the church uh, in the city of Petrer, 100,000 inhabitants between Petrer and Elda, and there are three Pentecostal churches for 100,000 inhabitants. One church is more of a social gospel church. And this is really the one sound gospel preaching church for 100,000 inhabitants. Then there's surrounding communities that go from 1,000 to 2,000 inhabitants. Uh, and there's about a dozen of them. And then there's two that are 10,000 inhabitants. And the one with the most inhabitants, 20,000, Monforte del Cid. Uh, all those communities don't have a gospel witness uh, in them, uh, speaking of a church, an evangelical church in them whatsoever. And then the pastor of the church where I got saved, where the big thumbtack is, uh, invited me to teach in theological education. In Spain, that takes place over a weekend. And so it's like a Friday, Saturday, or just a Saturday thing, whether it's formal or informal theological education. So uh, in this context, six churches regionally get together, and that's the context in which I would teach. But David also told me that uh, he thought I'd have other opportunities to serve in theological education as well. And as of recent news, uh, David and his wife will be going to the States for a few months. So in January, I'll be you know, fast-tracking my, my cultural uh, acquisition by uh, being the pastor of the church. And so uh, that's the ministry in Spain. We are planning on going to Spain for the long run. I mean, I hope that the Lord comes back before we retire, really. <laughs> he come back today. Uh, but if the Lord would wait uh, so long, uh, it's a career move for us. Uh, we, uh, I say this in the same sentence. Uh, we bought tickets, but we don't have visas yet. <laughs> uh, our visas are supposed to get in within the next 10 days. We bought tickets for November 28th. They're a flexible date, so we can change them. Uh, but Lord willing, uh, we'll be going to Spain by the end of the month. So that's it's a little fast, uh, but we are excited. Uh, we have 94, 95% of our support. Uh, we basically lack $450 per month. And so uh, that's the presentation. Uh, by the welcome desk on your right, on my left, uh, we have prayer cards and a prayer sign-up sheet. So if you want to receive our prayer updates, I say that prayer is half the job, right? God works through prayer. And so if you would pray for us, uh, please just write your name email, and we'll add you to the prayer list. If you have questions, I'll take those after the church service, and uh, now we'll turn our attention to the Word of God. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for your mercy, uh, your grace in our lives. Thank you that uh, we have been saved by grace. Uh, We pray, Lord, that you would help us to keep our eyes on eternity uh, with eyes of faith. 
uh, we have many temptations uh, down here, and we want to, to make the most, Lord, uh, of our lives down here. So we, we ask for your help to that end, uh, for your name's sake, in Christ's name. Amen. It's a tragedy that so many people miss what the point of life is. Uh, in general, in a materialistic culture, you could say, you know, the point of life is just you, you get as much as you can. You grab and you pile it up and you try to have fun and, and then you die and it's all over. Uh, instead of giving, living for Christ, giving of our lives for him, his name's sake. And uh, we're all born, right, sinners. And so there's the old man that's still present in us when we have the new nature. And we have, however, though we have the presence of sin, the power of sin has been broken, right? First Corinthians 10, 13, we can overcome, ought to overcome temptation. And we also have the penalty of sin that's been paid. Though the wage of sin is death, we have the free gift of life in Christ Jesus. And if we were to talk about the main idea of this passage we're looking at this morning to an unbeliever, well, they, they wouldn't believe it. All they have is the old man. And if we talk about this main idea we'll be looking at to believers, well, the old man in us wants nothing to do with it. The main idea is to keep dying to self. Right? You say that to believers, like, well, what do you mean die to self? I mean, all I have is here now. I've got to make the most out of it. And our flesh still wants to live for these things, the old man in us. And so it wants nothing to do with it. But we can and ought to overcome and keep dying to self in Christ Jesus. We're in the book of John this morning. And uh, the book of John is split into two major sections. We have chapters 1 to 12 and then 13 to 21. Chapters 1 to 12 uh, talk about Jesus' three years of ministry and how he is uh, the Son of God, the Messiah, and, he, and that the book does so through I am statements, like before Abraham was I am, and also through signs, the culminating one being the resurrection of Lazarus from the dead. And then we move to the second portion of the book, and it's just over two weeks. Uh, chapter 12, verse 1, there's a transition in chapter 12 uh, between the two sections. It says, six days before the Passover. And from that point on in the book, there's just two weeks left. And so in that second portion of the book, we have the preparation of the disciples for the death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ, and also the events that transcend. And so we're in a transition chapter in John 12. And uh, there's another transition statement between the two sections, which is that the hour has come, all right? Before that in the book, there are statements that say that the hour had not come, John 2.41, the hour had not come. John 7.30, the hour had not come. John 8.20, the hour had not come. But at this point, there's a transition, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. And so, uh, in chapter 12 as well, what we see is that there's crowds that are there. There's people that are there, they want to kill Jesus, right? The religious leaders. Uh, there's people that are there uh, because they want a miracle. Like, man, I want, I want what Lazarus had or what so-and-so had. And chapter 12 is right 
after uh, the miracle of the resurrection of Lazarus, or here in this passage, it's soon after that. And so uh, then there's others who are there because they have truly believed. In verse 42, we see that some religious leaders had believed. And in our portion, uh, I understand that who are addressed are are God-fearers, are those who have faith in God, those who have believed. It says in chapter 12, uh, verses 20 to 22, talks about Greeks who were going to the feast to, to worship. And I understand that, that they were going to a Jewish feast, and so they had converted. They believed. And so they come and want to ask Jesus a question, but we don't find their question. All we find is the answer, and they go through Philip and Andrew. And so our passage this morning has the answer to that question. And as I believe, those are believers. Uh, what I understand the text is doing is telling us what Christian life ought to look like or what life really is about. It's not about how you become a Christian. That's John 3.16 or John 20.31, right? By faith. But this is what Christian life ought to look like or what life really is about. And so uh, we look at this portion of Scripture and there's four ideas that we'll be looking at uh, in this short portion of Scripture. If you'd read with me, John 12.23 to 26. John 12, 23 says, And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. First idea that we find in the passage is that the time has come for Jesus to be glorified through his death. All right, the time has come for Jesus to be glorified through his death. And we find that in verse 23. Verse 23 says, and Jesus answered them, the hour has come. So that's the time for his death, resurrection, and ascension. So for the Son of Man to be glorified. And I take that as being right that the hour for him to be glorified is through his death because the next verse and also the next idea in the, in the verse talks about his death. And so it explains uh, the statement made in verse 23 and it talks about Jesus' death. All right, so that's the first idea. The time has come for Jesus to be glorified through his death. And the second idea in the passage we find in verse 24, Jesus' death bears much fruit. Jesus' death bears much fruit. And so as we look at uh, the illustration or short parable here, uh, it says, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. And this has a a parallel idea to the parable of the four soils that we find in Matthew 13. The seed falls in the road, it dries up. It falls in the thorns, it gets choked up. It falls in the rich soil, it dies and bears much fruit. And then this parable is, is explained as being the salvation of sinners, right? And so this is what the passage is talking about. Jesus' death uh, yields much fruit, and it yields fruit in the salvation of sinners. As we look at this passage, at the beginning of it, uh, verse 24, there's an emphatic statement. There's repetition. That means there's emphasis being made. Uh, So what Jesus is doing here is through his repetition, wants to distinguish this verse 
in our minds. The whole passage is important, but this is meant to be distinguished. It's meant to come off the the page, so to speak, and, and grab our attention. And he says, truly, truly, so it's a, an emphasis of a certain statement. And you can contrast that, for instance, with, okay, let's say at work or some acquaintance of yours, like, I'm telling you for real, this is going to happen. But they're putting emphasis because, you know, the week before they said something that wasn't true. Well, this is not what's going on here. Jesus is the one in whom there is no falsehood. There is no lies. And he's putting emphasis Emphasis on the fact that as he will die at this point in time, right, prophesying his death, it will certainly bear much fruit. And we know this now looking back at the cross instead of looking forward at the cross, right? Jesus did come, he did die, and he did resurrect. And because he is the one that does not lie, we can put all our trust in him. We can put all our trust in that what Jesus says is true, that when he died, it did bear much fruit. Another thing I think we can uh, see in this passage is Jesus' complete obedience to the Father, willing to obey day in, day out, perfectly, sacrificially, dying to self up to the point of the literal death of the cross. And so there's a, a certain true statement that merits our trust, and it is a loving statement that we find Uh, from our Lord dying for us. At this point in the passage, the passage transitions from talking about Jesus to applying the truth to us, all right? And so the last two truths of the passage are uh, statements that apply this truth to us, but there's a slight difference in the truth, uh, from the truth, uh, it's my French here that's messing my, my syntax up, from the truth, to the application, all right. So, uh, Jesus, right, as we know from Scripture, died once and for all. He's not asking us to literally die, though sometimes our faith results in death, right? There are some martyrdoms, not in this country, but in, in other countries. But it is a living sacrifice, like Romans 12, 1 and 2. That's what this passage is talking about. So we find the third truth of the passage that applies to us now and it's keep dying to self by hating your life. Verse 25 is where we get that from. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Like, hate your life. Am I, like, supposed to just find stuff that I don't like and do it? No, that's not what the passage is talking about. Uh, What the passage is talking about is that we ought to not satisfy our old man, but that instead we ought to live for Christ. And I think there's a clear parallel passage that explains this to us, uh, having very similar language to John 12, 25. And then the thing is that this other passage has an explanatory verse right before it, and that's Mark 8, 34 and 35. So first Mark 8, 34 explains, and then 35 is similar language to John 12, 25. I'll read that for us. Mark 8, 34 says, And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. So this is what losing or hating our life means. That we would not live for ourselves, but instead live for Christ Jesus, bearing our cross. 
That's the point of the passage for us, the application for us. Verse 35 of Mark 8 says, Whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. And so that is uh, the first application made to us. And then the other one along the same lines <clears throat> and the last truth of the passage is John 12:26, And it's keep dying to self by following Jesus. Right? Keep dying to self by following Jesus. John 12:26 says, If anyone serves me, he must follow me. So what I understand this passage is saying here is you can't just say, yes, Jesus, I believe in you. All right, verse 25 is like, there's a clear contrast of I'm choosing to love my life and not follow Christ. Well, you have to hate your life and instead follow Christ. And here, it's like you can't say that you follow Christ and then walk another walk. All right. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. We ought to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. And so that's where I get to keep dying to self as the main idea of the passage. Right, the illustration of Jesus' death applied to us and that imagery through the hate your life and follow Jesus statements. Now this is the main idea of the passage, but we don't want to miss that there's also an important motivation for doing so in the passage. All right? uh, verse 25 says, whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. We have a promise that as we choose to obey in faith, right, to live for Christ Jesus, to not satisfy the desires of the flesh, not be tempted by what the world says, you know, hey, do this. Just grab and get and make the most out of it because this is what it's about. And as we choose to instead follow our Lord Jesus Christ in faith, we're promised that believers have, by faith, eternal life. And then, as well, in verse 26, the Father will honor us. So we will be honored by the Father for having followed him. That's such a rich blessing. And on the other hand, there is a stiff warning, right? If you love your life, you will lose it. You cannot, you know, not all roads lead to Rome. There's only one road. There's only one road. And if we choose to say, yeah, yeah, I follow Jesus, but you know, I, I really just want to kind of walk my own way. Well, the Father will not honor us. So there's a stiff warning here. And so we're reminded that though we live in a sin-infected world, and as we turn the TV on, as we see our neighbors who you know, live for the train of this world, the way of this world, that we have good reason, good motivation in Christ Jesus as we look back at the certainty of what he's done on the cross for us and also at the certainty of his promises that is our motivation to say, I will not live for myself today. I will live for Christ Jesus instead. And how can that look like uh, in our daily lives? Well, you can take a day which, you know, for us... You can apply this to your circumstance in life. You know, if you're retired, it kind of all looks the same unless you were bored and found a job afterwards. Uh, but let's say you have a, a job and you get up in the morning and, you know, if you have children, you're, you're groggy, you get your coffee, you're trying to rush out to work and you're maybe impatient with them as they act up as kids do and then you head out to work and you're just thinking about 
your day of work, which you have to work, that's a good thing, and you know, maybe your promotion that you would like to get, and then you get back home from work and you're, you feel like your brains are fried or your body is just beat up. You think, you know, I just need to slouch on the couch and uh, uh, I deserve this, and, or maybe you have this or that going on, and by the time you know it, you know, your, your head hits the pillow and uh, it starts up all over again. Another way to, to see this would be, right, you get up in the morning and how do we keep dying to self? Well, when our kids act up, by God's grace alone, right, we do fail, but we uh, deal with them, uh, teaching them, instructing them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And as we go out to work, we pray to God uh, that we would be a light today, that our actions would reflect his grace. And we don't just wait on evangelism opportunities. We were called to, to go to them, not for them to come to us. And so we do that in our day of work. And as we come back home, we think not of, man, I'm tired, I deserve this, uh, but of how we can honor our roles in our household. If you're married, right, your love and submission. If you're a child in a household, obeying your parents. If you're a parent, not provoking them. As we go to church, we gather joyfully on Sunday, but also the rest of the week. You know, we're not just there on Sunday. We, we are a body part, and the church needs not just a, a head and an arm. It needs a foot and a hip as well, so we contribute to the church. And, and so in unity for the sake of the gospel, not thinking of what I want, right? But instead of living for Christ, thinking of the better of the body instead of thinking, thinking for the best of the body instead of for myself. And missions is basically this, but you add a culture to it, right, in a different location. We do have a privilege to uh, do this full time, and we fight to not live for this world, to beat that out of us, to live as a pilgrim. As we look back at the certainty of what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for us on the cross, at his deep love and sacrifice for us, and at uh, what a true life worth living is, is not living for self, not grabbing, right? But giving of ourselves to our Lord, and we are so selfish, right? I'm selfish. (laughs) We need to hear this truth again uh, to readjust, right, our focus one more time uh, to think about eternity and how we are living our lives in light of it, because of what Christ has done for us, but also because of the great promises he has given us. And if you're here this morning and you do not believe in Christ, I plead with you to come to him in faith and to start living a life that's worth living for in light of eternity, in light of who is the king of the universe, the savior, the one and only savior. May God bless this word to our lives, and may he help us this week as we go about our every day to to honor him. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, uh, we are grateful for this time that we have uh, this morning. I pray, Lord, uh, that as we approach to uh, take the elements, that we would be uh, with thoughtfulness, gratefulness about what you have done for us, uh, for your name's sake. We thank you for your grace in our lives. In Christ's name, amen.